Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to have the pleasure to have a great chat with Pascal Ursan. Pascal is the SVP of Marketing at Rock. He's been CMO quite a number of times as well at other stops, and he's very vulnerable, I would say, in terms of how he shares his experiences and talks about you know, not getting off track, even when things feel like they're taking you there. He, he really opens up in this podcast, and you'll hear him talk about even losing his job during the pandemic, but viewing it as an opportunity. And I think it's a really uplifting message that he delivers to us. He also talks about the importance of personalization. Pascal comes from a background in the agency world where he really learned that art side of it, being able to nail messaging, but the importance of balancing that with the data that we have today. And that science piece isn't enough alone. We really need that balance. And this podcast is all about finding balance in your art and science delivery. Here's my chat with Pascal. Hey, Pascal, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us today. I'm really excited to hear about this relatively still new opportunity that you joined during a pandemic, a company that's, you know, sounds like a rocket ship, 100 million in revenue from what I know, 250 people grown to 400 million, just raised 80 million. Things sound pretty good there. Yes, thanks, Randy, for having me. Absolutely. Like the, the company has been around for eight years, but things have really changed uh, with COVID and, and people spending more time on e-commerce website. So I've been lucky to join that journey uh, recently. Absolutely. Well, l- listen, I, I mean, the, the space you're in of e-commerce is one that no question has taken off like a rocket ship. Um, I know, you know, other companies where I've listened to podcasts, including you know, Spotify, they talked about, or not Spotify, Shopify, I meant. Uh, Spotify is also doing pretty well. But, you know, it, it just seeing the market catch up and, and almost propel itself 10 years forward. How much was that a factor in you deciding where you were going to go next? Were you looking for something that was just super relevant? There was a little bit of luck in me ending up at Rocked. Uh, I was actually let go when the pandemic first hit uh, in New York in March. And I decided to just look for opportunity in product I was interested in. But e-commerce was not top of mind for me. Gotcha. That's That's got to be tough. I mean, you know, getting vulnerable for a moment here. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing, you know, that, that reality of the pandemic hit so many of us in different ways in our teams. What was it like to to live through that experience and have to get up and say, I'm going to reset and figure out how to continue on my career journey? It, it was hard to find, um, I mean, to know as the pandemic was hitting uh, where to start, right? You get stuck at home with your wife, your two kids. Uh, you know, there are lots of people out there looking for an opportunity and just a few jobs. But the, the decision for me, the North Star, was the North Star that it's, it's always been, which is following my passion and following products I believed in. So 
when I saw Rocked and I started interacting with the brand, interacting with the people and the product, uh, I felt my heart was into it and it ended up being a good fit. So that's how I joined. It's really motivating to hear this. And, and I, you know, I look at your career over the years, you've, you've had to shift or you've gone into shift and maybe as you put it, you know, it's an opportunity to chase passion versus, you know, where you are in that moment. Maybe you can tell us about just some of the learnings that got you through this past year onto this exciting rocket ship and, and how they've, how they've presented over the years and how you've seized them or adapted with them. What's interesting in my journey as a marketer is that um, I didn't know uh, where I wanted to go. I knew where I wanted to start, uh, and that was in digital marketing. So I, I had to, I'm French, as you can tell by the accent, uh, and I really wanted to be in New York. That was uh, my dream. Uh, my first objective was to start in New York in digital marketing. I, I really had to hustle to find an agency that would take me in 2000 when the dot-com was uh, bursting. And um, that's where I started the journey. And then I, you know, I followed my instinct. You know, I worked on big brands when HSBC was launching an online bank and they were looking for someone with expertise in digital marketing. I jumped on it and it was an amazing journey, like seven years working uh, with this client, helping them transform their digital marketing. Uh, it was amazing. And then the journey continued. After a while, I wanted to be in a smaller, more entrepreneurial environment, meaning working with tech startup, which is what I did in the last part of my career, and on and on and on. And I started as a B2C marketer, and now I'm a B2B marketer, and I'm still enjoying what I do and still learning every day. So tell me a little bit about that that shift from B to C to B to B. I, I mean, you you could argue that what Rock's doing definitely has a B to B play to it, but it's a lot of your customers are are definitely B to C brands engaging with consumers on a daily basis. How much of a of a shift in your background did you need to go and reset to to make that B to B jump? That's, that's a good question. It's actually harder, I found, to be a B2C marketer because as consumer, we're very fickle, right? Our um, habits change, our preference change, our loyalty to brand is, um, can change from one day to the next. Learning through my early experiences, like L'Oreal was a big client of mine, then I mentioned HSBC. I've always had like a, a, a very clear focus on the end customer. And through that lens, uh, I learned so much about behavior and what works and what doesn't work. And those learnings are very applicable uh, when it comes to B2B marketing. At the end of the day, um, you know, you're talking to a person. And as long as you understand that that person is a, also a consumer, and as long as you understand which buttons are important for that person, you can make it happen. You can. Uh, get their interest and get them to commit to the next step. So let me ask you this, now that you're at this marketing leadership level, CMO, VP of marketing over your career, and you've seen both sides, you've seen the agency side, you've seen that shift between B2C, B2B. When you're hiring marketers, where do you look first? You know, if you're looking for the next version of you or the, the smarter version of you is what I always think, are you looking at someone on the agency side more preferably because of your exposure there? Not necessarily, but I know that going to an agency um, brings a lot of rigor uh, to you know the, the discipline of marketing. So 
I always have a slight preference for people who've been through, you know, those years of learning as long as they've had a meaningful experience. But I think as, as you know, as you look for a good marketer, there's, there's not a formula, you know, it's a lot of art and science. And, you know, my North Star when it comes to recruiting is always like, would that person be 100% uh, obsessed about the customer, no matter who the customer is? Can that person person understand the customer and, and get under the skin of the customer and get the customer to engage? That's really how I, I, I judge a good marketer. Well, that, that's a great segue, Pascal, in, into our second segment. We'll take a short break here on the marketer's journey. We'll talk about a buyer's journey and the focus on a customer right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Really impressive to hear Pascal talk so openly and vulnerably about his experience over this past year. I think a lot of us have had a rough year, and even if it isn't this past year, sometimes we'll lose our opportunity. That could be the promotion ahead of us. It could be our job altogether. I can tell you, I've lost the opportunity of a promotion early in my career and it hurts. And I've had businesses that didn't go as planned and had to pivot. I think the key in those moments is how we respond. It's how we adapt. It's what we look for next that keeps us on a path forward. And Pascal's story is absolutely a great example of that. Take whatever's thrown at you, take those lemons and make lemonade. Pascal, one of the things when I look at the Rocked website and I think about my own website is we both seem to understand that the buyer is in charge and the buyer today expects personalization. But the, the idea of personalization to every buyer and every marketer is a little bit different. Tell me a little bit about how you define a personalized experience today. That's a great question. And this is really at the core of what we do for Rock. So the way we define personalization is really serving um, a product, a service, or an offer to a customer when, when it is the right moment for the customer. So we do that in the transaction, what we call the transaction moment, where someone, a customer is really engaged because the customer is buying something on an e-commerce website. And this is when we serve up uh, those product services or offers. And what do you think is that line between making it a more convenient, better experience or just creepy, right? Like, you know, my wife believes that every Google device in our house is listening to us. And sometimes she'll just mess with the Google device and just yell a whole bunch of car brands when she's shopping for a new car, just to see if her ads start to reflect that. How do you find that line between 
creating convenience and not freaking out the buyer. Yeah, it's it's complicated, right? Because as we go into um, more algorithm and data science behind the decision that that we make happen for our customer, we want to make sure that we're we're staying relevant, right? So there's a lot of learning get, that go into the machine in terms of what is right for them. So again, like the timing is is really important. You know, I'll take an example. Like Ticketmaster is a big client of us. Uh, and, you know, as you go through the experience of buying a ticket, it's only expected that you might travel to that destination and a, a hotel might make sense, right? Or a car rental or things like that. So there's a, there's a fair amount of uh, intelligence that goes into it, but it has to relate to the experience that the customer is in. So that's, I think examples in this case definitely help because I, for a lot of marketers today, the, the idea of personalization, when we define it, ranges. You know, in, in the most simple is the fact that I would know your name. You come to my website, I'm like, hey, Pascal, we know you, right? Uh, perhaps I throw in your company. There's all these other variables that I can throw on. What are some of the ways that you've seen, you know, either your own team or one of your customers really take personalization to that next level? Yeah, that's interesting. So to, to your question, when we say personalization, we, we don't mean, uh, hi, Pascal, we mean uh, actually knowing the customer fairly deeply. So for, for each and every customer that goes through a transaction journey, there are like 70 to 80 different data points that range from you know what they just purchased or what they're in the process of purchasing to other information we know about them as, as people. So this is all this data that, that gets um, into the decisioning of what they get served and when in the, in the moment as well. Gotcha. I, you know, I, I, for right or wrong, a lot of us have used from an e-commerce perspective, Amazon as, as the North Star. I, I mean, personally, I don't find Amazon's personalization that fantastic. I find it very convenient to shop on Amazon for, for a number of reasons. They've got everything. I can count on it. They've got re good return processes. But I, I don't necessarily find that I get there and they create this better experience for me. So yeah. I, at what point do you believe that we have to get to an e-commerce page and have products suggested for us versus go in, go in search? I mean, I, I agree with you. Like Amazon is, is fantastic in many ways, but if you think about the recommendation that they make, they're really product based, right? So I buy, I bought a pair of shoes. You're gonna, you're gonna get cross sold a pair of socks. Let's say, this is a very product centric view of um, personalization. Whereas, I feel that if you have the right amount of information about the customer without being you know, creepy in how you handle the data and so on and so forth, I feel you can do personalization at the customer level. And, and that's so much more powerful. Taking another example, like we have a lot of retail brand uh, that we serve. And when customers go through the experience of buying a product on their website, we learn a lot uh, about them. As a result, we're able to serve up the right product or service. Like Hulu is a is a often a winner with this type of uh, of customer because we've learned so much in their purchasing journey. So Pascal, one of the things that you hit on earlier in our conversation is that you can learn a lot from B two C coming over to B two B, and that in fact that B two C experience is almost trickier given the nuances and expectations of our buyer. 
So with everything we just talked about around personalization, creating these more genuine experiences, how are you bringing some of what your product does, but into the B2B journey that you've got to create to nail these aggressive growth targets that you've got in your business? We, we do it uh, with the team at a couple of levels, right? One is um, making sure that our messaging to the buyer, meaning um, the, the, the business, uh, is clear. And, and sometimes because our technology and our product uh, grow so quickly, um, we have challenges, internal challenges in explaining it in very simple terms. So that's, that's one way in which, you know, you can learn from um, talking to customer and apply those learning to talking to businesses. The other way is when the customer, uh, our client customer, go through a purchasing experience, you know intuitively what the right message would be depending on where they are. What, what I want to say also on that comment about learning from B2C to B2B is that things have changed tremendously since I started in B2C. There wasn't a lot of technology and I feel B2C is becoming easier because there's so much technology to help make decision or inform decision at the very least. Uh, but the art, I was talking about the art and the science of marketing and messaging is still very valid, right? It's about finding this insight, this uh, moment, uh, and the right language to pick, pick the interest of your, of your buyer or of your customer. So let, let me ask you, because you've said that a couple of times today, I assume it's part of your thesis. And, and we actually created a great set of videos probably five years ago in my company where we, we talked about this balance of art and science and, and a belief on our side that it's not all on one or the other. How do you decide how much of that we should leave up to the bots and AI and all, all the good stuff that can achieve scale versus that art? You know, what's your balance or recipe? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and, you know, back to your question about agency and what's good about working through agency is that you learn the discipline of finding the insight and that's art, right? A bot is not going to find the insight for you. You have to be, be curious. You have to read, uh, understand best practices so that you can find the insight. So that's the art for sure. Um, the science is testing hypotheses, right? So I have an insight, I have a message that talks to that insight. I'm going to test it out in market and see what performance I get. And then you refine and it, it becomes a loop. But I feel the starting point has to be a little bit of the art. Uh, I, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And, and without a doubt, you, you just hit on the challenge, I believe, in terms of finding marketers that can find a balance of those two sides, right? I mean... You know, you've got marketers who are always suggesting a million different ideas, but they just want to switch from one to the other without being able to see what works. So back to our first part of the combo, how do you test or how do you teach your team to find that balance? It's uh, a good question. In a way, I, has, I want them to put themselves in the shoes of the customer. But then the drawback to that approach is that uh, it can become a very personal experience where you just share your own point of view and it's not necessarily based on a universal insight or a moment in time that consumers are going to relate to. So I, I think it's about you know conversation when someone's joining the team and is very new to the process. But people do understand you know where it comes from and and why it works. Um, showing you know best in class examples always a good way to talk about you know good creative or good messaging. 
it's another way to teach. Absolutely. Some great tips here, Pascal. We're going to take one more quick break. We've hit on the career journey you've taken, the buyer journey. We're going to find a little bit about your personal journey and how you disconnect right after a little break. The idea of defining personalization is really tricky. And as Pascal says, you know, when, when their company goes about trying to deliver a personalized experience, it's not first name. And, and I kid a lot these days saying first name is not personalization. That was cool 10 years ago. But what we're looking for today is your ability to solve my problems. And we actually did a really cool study this past year at Uberflip. It was called the Experience Disconnect Report and you can find it online. If you go check it out, one of the questions that I remember that was really interesting is we asked marketers first, we said, what is personalization to you? And they said things like knowing the first name, knowing the company, you know, knowing the job that the person has. But we asked the same question to buyers and their number one item that didn't even make the top three for the marketer was being able to solve my problem. And there's a disconnect there, right? What we need to do is we need to personalize on the challenges that people have. Now, Pascal's giving you examples here of how we can actually solve by giving the right products. For some of us, it may be just the research that we're doing to get to that product stage. No matter what, make sure you're personalizing based on the problems people are looking to solve, not just who they are. Pascal, you've, you've shared so much with us today, including being really vulnerable in, in what you've shared in the first half. So we know at home, you've got the challenges of kids all over the place and you know trying to get work done. How do you find this balance that we all need today to be efficient at work, but also disconnect from work? Yeah, great question. And I'm, I struggle with this every day and we've been in this pandemic for a year, but it's still a challenge every day. I, I think there are a couple of things. One is having the discipline to just shut down, right? Shut down the computer, shut down the, the phone and be present with the people around you. The second one is finding time for yourself, finding time to collect your thoughts, let them sit, uh, synthesize. Uh, and I do that with with sport usually. Like I, I'm into running. I run nine marathon uh, since I've moved to New York. My ambition was to run my tenth and retire in 2020, but because of the pandemic, I couldn't. So I'm still in for 2021 and started <laughs> running uh, early this year already. That's great. Well, listen, I, I mean, you you hit on earlier. You're from France. And I, and I know they have a better work-life balance, or at least it's it's always been marketed that way. So I, I hope you're able to bring some of that discipline over to North America, where we definitely have worse, worse balance uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Pascal, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been a, a real pleasure. It's been great to have you. If you have stumbled upon this podcast for the first time, have a listen. We've got over 50 other marketing leaders who have joined us sharing their stories, their journeys. Everyone's unique and yours is too. One day, hopefully you'll be on and share yours on the marketer's journey. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.